Welcome to Godzilla Media. For you, it might be your first time listening to a Godzilla Media podcast. What is Godzilla Media? Well, if you're a business owner, an athlete, a coach, maybe an aspiring media member, and you want to launch your own podcast, you can do it here. Godzilla Media is a multimedia platform. From audio to visual and more, working with sponsors across New York to help you get your message across. Again, your way, your mission, your promotion, however you want to do it, we want to support you here at Godzilla Media. Now, Getting There with Gaz is one of the 18 podcasts and one of the 23 contributors a part of this company right now. If you're a young college student, if you're in high school, if you've always wanted to launch your own podcast and join the sports media world, we want to have you join our team. For more information, visit Godzilla Media, G-O-Z-I-L-L-A media.com or email me, G-O-Z at GodzillaMedia.com. Now coming up next, Getting There with Goz, where we focus on the career journeys of upstate New York media members, coaches, athletes, business owners, and more. Godzilla Media is covered with podcasts. Go back and listen to some old Getting There with Goz episodes with ESPN broadcasters, MLB broadcasters, and names that you know across the sports world. Plus, to listen to other podcasts involving fantasy football, sports talk, pop culture, movies, and more, head over to GodzillaMedia.com. Now, Godzilla Media podcasts are brought to you by our great sponsors. One in particular we want to spotlight before we get into this episode, and that's Mohawk Honda. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's in the Finger Lakes, whether it's in Syracuse, whether it's in Albany, Watertown, Ithaca, Cortland, upstate New York, Trust me when I say this, the best spot to get a vehicle at the end of 2021 is Mohawk Honda in Glenville, New York. It's all about inventory. So many car dealerships don't have the vehicle that you want. Mohawk Honda is going to have it for you. Check it out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can follow Mohawk Honda. You'll find out more about their 2021 inventory and what's in stock. And now take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book offer. Drive to Glenville, Freeman's Bridge Road. Type it in your GPS right now and find out how you can walk off the lot with money in your pocket and a brand new ride. I've been fortunate enough to work with this team in the Capital Region, and the best vehicle I've ever had is sitting in my driveway right now, my pilot. I worked with Cam McKenna to get my vehicle. Greg Johnson, one of my absolute favorite people in the Capital Region, from Lindsey Harden to John and Service and more. We love the crew at Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda in Glenville, New York, where they always go out of their way to please you. Now, on to this week's episode of Getting There with Gaz. <laughs> Another episode here of Getting There with Gaz, where we talk to coaches, athletes, business owners, and media members across upstate New York about their career journeys. We have one of my truly favorite broadcasters of all time, because a younger version of me sat right next to this guy, courtsided many games out in the Finger Lakes. He's had a historic career. We've got some interesting things that have happened now with a career change on the way we'll get to. You know him in the Finger Lakes. For some of you, the first time you'll meet him, Ted Baker joining us now, and Ted for those who may not know, take us back to your younger Ted Baker, six, seven, eight years old. What do you want wow. to be as a kid? And was it your same dream job when you were 18 years old? I don't know when I first thought about being a broadcaster, but I grew up in New England. I'm from northern New Hampshire, and I was a huge sports fan. And so I grew up listening. This was, of course, pre-cable days. I mean, there was hardly any sports on TV. 
So I grew up listening to some legendary New England radio broadcasters like Ken Coleman and Ned Martin doing Red Sox baseball, uh, Gil Santos doing Patriots football back when they were terrible, uh, Bob Wilson, Boston Bruins, Johnny Most, a legend doing the Boston Celtics. And somewhere along the way, I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. And then through a combination of some hard work and, and some really fortunate breaks, I've been able to do it. I mean, going back to my very first job, I went to a one-year broadcasting school in Boston from the fall of 1977 to the spring of 1978, came back to my hometown, and there was an opening at my hometown radio station. There were two stations in town at the time, and one of them had an opening. They hired me, and it turned out that the disc jockey who left was their sports play-by-play guy. So the general manager says, can you do sports play-by-play? And I says, you're damn right I can. (laughs) And so at 18, there I was doing it. Incredible. That fast it happens. Let's even go back a little bit. That decision from when you're 18 years old to go to college, were there there other colleges that you were considering? Was it always maybe a quicker broadcasting school? Why did you decide on that school? And kind of take us through those moments of when you decided, I'm going to make the move professional as fast as I can. It was mostly financial, frankly. I mean, this school was affordable. Um, it, it looked like a, a good option. The, the teachers were professional broadcasters in the Boston market. So I got to meet some, some Boston, Massachusetts broadcasters and it, it just seemed like a good way to go. And then, you know, the natural thing is come back to your hometown if you can and find a job. And it just turned out, I mean, that's, and that's been my modus operandi for a lot of years. I mean, I, I like to think I'm good at what I do and I work hard, but you have to have the cards fall into place. And at just a number of junctions in my career, the right thing happened for me to get where I was going. Do you remember that first time you were on the air, that first broadcast? I know so many broadcasters do. Our pal Joe Lashy, who you know very well. I remember mine, the Playland Ice Casino in Rye, New York for Manhattanville Hobart. What was your oh, first man. broadcast? Do you remember that? They got like the, the circus ride and everything else going on in there. What was your first experience life and how would you self-evaluate your performance? My very first broadcast was, I don't have the exact date, it was September 1978, Berlin High School football. The game was at North Country Union High School in northern Vermont, about two miles from the Canadian border. Uh, In those days, this was pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-everything. You had to order uh, what what they called a one-way loop from the telephone company. You could talk to the studio. They could not talk to you. So you had to hope and pray that you were on the air. You know, you just say, I'm going to start talking in five minutes. And I went up there and did a game. And uh, I I don't – the earliest tape I have of me is probably from about 1980. So I don't have anything from that early. Uh, I'd like to think I'm a little better 43 years later. Uh, I would hope so. I, I know for sure that is definitely the case. So you've got this opportunity to start. Take us through the next few years. What does this first opportunity lead to for the next part of your career? Well, I started, I, I grew up in uh, a paper mill town called Berlin, New Hampshire, in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Started in August of 1978 doing high school football, did a little basketball. Berlin is a huge, huge hockey town. Uh, They had a men's amateur hockey team called the Berlin Maroons. I got to do some of their games, start to travel around New England a little bit. And then uh, a friend of mine and I decided that we would chuck it all and go to California. (laughs) In 1981, at the height of the reception, we we, we, we crit our jobs. 
we jumped in my 1967 Volkswagen and drove coast to coast because we had a friend out in California, couldn't find jobs, recession, you know, terrible times. That didn't last. I came back to Berlin and there was another station in town and I called them and said, you wouldn't have a job opening, would you? And they said, a matter of fact, we do. So there's luck number two. So I get into that station, didn't do a whole lot of sports there. And then in the late summer of 1983, I had a cousin working at a radio station in Texas. And he called me up one day and said, it's a country radio station. They need a country radio DJ who can also do play-by-play. And I thought, wow, Texas. I mean, Texas football? Seriously? And it, it looked like something that I would regret not doing if I didn't do it. So I said, yes, went and interviewed, got the job. And I found myself in the fall of 1983 watching this scrimmage, a a high school football scrimmage. And there were 3,000 people in the stands. And I said, (laughs) okay, I'm going to like this. 3,000 people sitting in the stands watching high schoolers practice. Oh, this is the real Friday Night Lights. So take us through it this. Was, I don't know, yeah. I don't, are yeah, you permian? Yeah. yeah, take us through the high schools and what those Friday nights were like for you. Well, I mean, and and the, the program that I covered, this was Cleburne, Texas, just outside the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, they had a very great high school football team. The first year I did their games, they went 9-2. and two. They went deep into the playoffs. And then I did high school basketball. In Texas, high school basketball teams play about 30 games in the regular season. I mean, here in New York, it's like 18 or 20. High school basketball team, they went 30 and 6 and went to the Final Four. The very first high school basketball game I did was at Reunion Arena in Dallas, home of the Mavericks. And for some reason, this local high school got to play another local high school up there before an NBA game, I'm sitting there setting up my equipment and Ralph Sampson comes walking out onto the court and I'm going, Whoa, I'm not in New Hampshire anymore, man. This is great. Look at this. <laughs> All seven foot four, right? Of Ralph Sampson yeah, walking around. Yeah. <laughs> so you have these experiences, you're in Texas and a lot of people look at this opportunity and say, I could do this for the rest of my life. I've got great Friday nights. The high school doesn't feel like high school. It feels truly like a college level. I'm bumping into NBA guys and Hall of Famers and everything else. What happens next? What brings you to the next part of your career post-Texas? Well, before I tell you, let me tell you another story is, uh, you know, in November of 1983, before I made the move, I'm sitting in New Hampshire watching the Dallas Cowboys on my television. And three weeks later, I'm standing in the locker room at Texas Stadium, three feet from Tom Landry with a microphone. I mean, I got, you know, I got press passes to go to the Cowboys. I went to every Cowboys game for about three or four years. I went to Mavericks games. Uh, I I mean, I'm in a Maverick game one night sitting in my seat and a guy sits down next to me and I'm going, he looks familiar. It was Bill Fitch, who was the coach of the Houston Rockets, I think at the time he was scouting. So, I mean, I just like, wow, I went from, you know, this little podunk place in New Hampshire to all these experiences. So anyway, In 1985, the station I worked for was sold to new owners, and they kind of wanted their own people, and it didn't really work out, and so I get let go, uh, which you know all about, unfortunately, uh, in this business. So I moved to another station in East Texas, and I did high school football there. Uh, The star running back for the team that I covered was named Ivory Brown. Uh, You might know his nephew, Adrian Peterson. (laughs) 
So, yeah. and, and so then uh, in 1987, I'm working in East Texas in the middle of the oil patch and oil prices collapsed. And so I get let go again. And I, I tell this story, I was living with my girlfriend. And so I lost my job and, and then we broke up. Uh, so I lost my job, my girl and my house all in the same week. So oh. it was time to come back to New Hampshire. <laughs> so so I come back to New Hampshire in 1987. I didn't do sports for a, a long time because uh, the stations when I went back there weren't doing sports anymore. I went to another station in New Hampshire and then finally got hired at WHMP in Northampton, Massachusetts, in, in Western Massachusetts in 1990. When I got hired, they were doing high school sports, but they had a guy already doing high school sports. Well, the person who was doing UMass sports couldn't do it anymore business-wise. He went out of business, so they came to us. Our station took over UMass sports, so our high school guy moved to UMass. I got high school sports starting in about 1991. A couple of years later, UMass, after about 15 years without a hockey program, decides to relaunch a Division One hockey program. So they come to me and go, would you like to do Division One college hockey? And I said, you're damn right I would. <laughs> so I started doing Division One college hockey. Um, I picked up women's basketball at UMass. Uh, in 1998, the UMass football team went to the national championship game, and the regular broadcaster had to do something else. So I got called in to do the game. UMass was about 80-point underdogs against Georgia Southern, this powerhouse. I mean, nobody gave them a chance while they won. 55-43, so I got a national championship ring in 1998, and and so there I am doing Division One college sports at UMass, uh, including a hockey play-by-play -play for a number of years. My my buddy, who does color, is still there that did color with me, and of course they won the national championship last year. It's amazing. We talked about these breaks at the start of this interview where so many times it would have been so easy for you to think, you know what, this radio thing, this broadcasting thing is too tough. I'm going to move on and do something else. You were resilient. You stuck through it. Even that one week where the girl leaves you, the house leaves you, the job leaves you, all that happens, you're still sticking with it. And here you go. Like This really feels like for you, maybe the pinnacle of your career when we're talking about it, looking back, because you're having so much fun. You're doing what you want to do. You're in the New England market. It, there had to have been times where you felt like you were pinching yourself thinking, this is what I've wanted to do when I was 20 years younger. And sure enough, here I am in the late 90s doing it. All the time, because, and, and I guess that's my lesson for anybody who's in the business or really any business is keep on keeping on. I mean, you never know when that next door is going to open up and, and you get an opportunity. And if you keep doing good work, people will notice, and then maybe you get recommended for a job somewhere down the line. So, you know, but I, I, I'm always cognizant that I've gotten some really lucky breaks along the way. I mean, it, it, the whole story could have turned out very differently at any fork along the road. And even though you're doing great things in Massachusetts, some people, maybe most people listening to this podcast and this show know you from your time in New York. Is it Massachusetts, then to New York? What brings you to the Empire State? Well, <laughs> you get some good breaks, you get some bad breaks. I was working at WHMP and in 2001, a new owner came in and they wanted their own people basically. Uh, we had two radio stations, a rock station, and I was the program director of the news talk station, in addition to sports play-by-play. -play. And they came to the two program directors and said, we will give you six months' pay if you walk away right now. 
my buddy said, okay, thanks. See ya. I said, no, you know, I like it here. Da, 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 da. And then got fired a few months later. So another lesson for you aspiring broadcasters, if someone pays you to go away, let them. <laughs> so then I'm out of a job in 2001. In 2002, I see an ad in a broadcast trade publication for a job at WGVA, Geneva, New York. And I send my stuff out to the general manager. And he calls me up and he says, you're from Berlin, New Hampshire? And I'm going, okay, a trick question. Yeah, why? So am I. He was born, my boss was born in the same hospital that I was in Berlin, New Hampshire, four months before me. We would have been high school classmates, but his family moved to Maine when he was a young kid. So wow. he hires me. I come out to, WH, to uh, WGVA in Geneva. And at that time, they're not doing any sports. Because again, this was pre-technology, you know, bag phones and cell phones and signals cutting out and stuff. And they had all kinds of technical problems. So they dumped sports. Well, about my second or third year here, they decided, okay, let's start them up again. So around 2004, 2005, I start doing a heavy schedule of high school sports here on WGVA. At the same time, Hobart and William Smith was doing games with mostly students, and they were having a very difficult time finding students who, A, would want to do the games, and B, who were any good. So the station manager at WEOS that you know well calls me up and he had heard me doing some high school games and said, would you like to come do college games for us? There you go. Another opportunity falling into my lap. So in 2005, I started doing Hobart football. Then later on that spring, or I guess, yeah, it would have been the spring of 2006, I guess. Uh, they said, do you want to do lacrosse? And I said, okay. And the first lacrosse game I broadcast was the second one I'd ever seen in my life. And then <laughs> from there, you know, hockey, Hobart hockey is a great program. Now William Smith has added hockey. Now they're going to add baseball and softball and all these other things. So I've been doing uh, those games now for about 15 years uh, for Hobart and William Smith and my high school games. In a good year, pre-pandemic, I would do about 120 games a year. I think I did about 60 last year with the pandemic. 120 games a year. I, I got to get back to that, but just for a clarification here, for some people who may not be as familiar with the Finger Lakes region than others and some who did grow up in the area, you mentioned that WGVA, they were not airing sports at that point in the early 2000s. Was that was another station airing sports? Because, look, Hobart at that point, they won multiple national championships in lacrosse. The football program was still there in the Finger Lakes. That is still one of the top colleges. Was it another station airing it or just no? Well, I, I think WGVA did a few Hobart games. It was okay. mostly the campus stations, WEOS, which right. is public radio, and then WHWS, which is student run. So, so they were doing it primarily, and it just reached a point where they weren't finding people able to do games. Gotcha. And, and, I mean, some of the ones they had just really didn't have a clue. They were just doing it for laughs. And so they wanted a little bit better quality of broadcast, I guess. And that's when I got brought in. And then it's just like everything else. It's expanded over the years. I got to call the William Smith Soccer Championship in 2013. Uh, Hobart Hockey went to the Frozen Four. Uh, Hobart Football, several NCAAs. So it, it's just been, again, right place, right time. I, I guess if you just keep on grinding on, you know, eventually you get the breaks. You mentioned 100-plus games a year, a full calendar year. You're going all across the board. 
I think one interesting thing to note for broadcasters is that difference between a high school game and a college game. Is there a difference? Do you prep differently? Is it more challenging to do a high school game? Kind of take us through that idea of what you do prepping for a high school game versus a college broadcast. Well, college is a lot easier because every athletics department has a website. It's got all the stats, all the schedules. Uh, high school has been going in that direction, but actually it's interesting because in the last few years, it's been going the other way. With the death of local media, I, I mean, the local papers don't cover as much as they used to. I mean, when I used to prep for a game in 1978, I would go to the library and get microfilm from the newspaper and go back and write down on a piece of paper. You know, it, it, you were lucky if you had the scores of a team's game. Now, I mean, Section 5, which is the governing body of high school sports in Western New York, has pretty good websites for the sports. So it's gotten a little bit easier. But, it, you know, it's way easier to get the information for college games and, you know, better quality of play. You're not so likely. I mean, if you do a college game, you know, I always joke about the mystery player. You'll be doing a football game and number eight will catch a pass. And you look and you got no number eight on your roster. No one knows who number eight is because he forgot his jersey and borrowed it from somebody else. <laughs> That's right. Things that can happen across the board. You, you mentioned Ho Yeah, of course. You mentioned Hobart and William Smith. And we're actually seeing at this point now, and when we're taping this is November of 2021, an expansion. There's been announcements that more sports teams are going to be added. You touched on that a little bit, that we see this new wave coming. You've been with that school. And look, I always joke around with people, when we talk about our own employers, it feels a little awkward. So say as much or as little as you want. What do you make of the the real like evolution we've seen of Hobart and William Smith sports? And what do you believe it means for the future of the schools? Well, I think, I, I mean, colleges have been struggling to get enrollment. So one, frankly, one of the reasons to add the sports is because they figure that'll mean about 150 student athletes coming in. So 150 people times the tuition of Hobart means more revenue coming into the school. And, you know, for better or for worse, sports, even non-athletes often might pick a school partly because of the sports. I mean, you know, you think nobody goes to Alabama because of the football? I mean, I'm sure they do. So the idea was that it would help the, the colleges grow. I mean, they're bringing back baseball, which they used to have, uh, adding softball. We've had... Um, an upsurge in facilities. We have the the pool family dome now, the inflatable bubble over the practice field. And actually they played some games there. So now when it's a lacrosse game in early February and it's 11 degrees out, we can still play the game. So it, it's just, I think a, a good calculated strategy on the part of HWS to bring in these sports and, and grab a bigger student base and just be more attractive overall as a school. And as a school, when you start to see that success and the enrollment go up, it feels great because now people not just in upstate New York, but across the country, the New England area and further out, start to have name recognition. Hey, I want to go play for that school. I want to be a part of that program. I want to play for that coach. And things like that across the board when you're evaluating what the future is as you're a high schooler. Now, the great thing about what's happening for your stations and your broadcast is you're putting in the work, you're putting in the grind, and you start to get recognized New York State Broadcasters Awards start to come by. I know one story in particular I'd love for you to share is the David Tyree story. What's it like when all of a sudden you get the call and say, hey, congratulations, your broadcast is now being honored across the Empire State? Well, I've been fortunate to win some awards for the best play-by-play -play in our market size. It's by my market sizes. So, I mean, New York City is one size and then the mid-sized cities. So there's usually a presenter for these awards in one year. It was David Tyree, he of the helmet catch, 
Tom Coughlin, who is the Giants coach, is a Waterloo native from this area. And uh, he's got the distinction of being the only guy to ever beat the hoodie in a Super Bowl. So it was David Tyree handing out the awards, and he hands the award to me. And I said, I hate you, man. I said, I'm a Patriots fan all my life. And he laughed. I mean, he thought it was pretty funny. But uh, and, and as it turns out, that was the last catch of his NFL career. I think he got hurt the next year in preseason, never made it back. The last play he made in the NFL was that helmet catch against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. David Tyree, a Syracuse guy, too, making that play. Arguably one of the great games of all time. Like you said, I know it, it's the result isn't what you'd hope for. But it was a great game. And, you, hey, if you're going to do something for me, at least give me an award that we're going to be happy about for the future, have something to brag about. A great story telling a podcast later on. Well, we have six rigs. Here, let me tell you this other story. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, one year, my son got me, for either my birthday or Christmas, he got me this nice wooden decorative box, and it had what was at the time the five – Patriots Super Bowl replica rings and we're sitting there watching number six when they beat the Rams and as soon as the game got to zero he turns to me and said dad I'm sorry your gift is outdated <laughs> that's very good that's very good uh you know you're winning these awards about these broadcasts and everything else I'm sure you have a huge hand if not the entire part of constructing the submission for these awards this is an interesting thought for some people who may be interested in submitting their own broadcast what do you believe goes into a great broadcast presentation? Well, it's interesting because the New York State broadcasters, they limit you to five minutes, which is pretty tough. So, I mean, I just what I've always tried to do when I do my entries is find a good, strong five minutes, usually something that ends with a big play, you know, a game winner or, or something along those lines. But uh, you just you have to edit it pretty tightly to get things in under five minutes. So, I mean, if it's basketball, you know, you might take out the pauses or people at the foul line and stuff. And, and you just you try to edit it into something that's going to catch their ear. I mean, I I believe in being emotional at a broadcast. That's one thing I tell sportscasters. It's OK to yell, especially, you know, when you're doing it for a home team. The, the home fans want their team to win and they want you to be excited. So I think that's one of the things I'm able to bring to the table is that that excitement and that enthusiasm comes through. I mean, there's no doubt when I'm doing a Hobart game that I'm a big Hobart fan. I mean, the fans can hear that. That's not being a homer. Being a homer, which we don't want in sports broadcasting, is when every single call against your team is wrong and your team never fouls and, you know, that kind of thing. It's a great answer and a great clarification because sometimes the home broadcast, people want to hear what's happening for the home team and they want to feel that emotion. They have a connection to that broadcaster that Hey, you know what? I'm in this with you. I'm sitting on the chair or the couch with you, listening to this game and feeling that stuff. Terry Muffley, for <laughs> those who don't know, you want to talk about emotional investment dealing with you. I love Coach Muff. And look, I would love to say I was your favorite partner, but I know the answer is Coach Muff because of what you just said. You could feel the emotion when coaches sit next to you in the booth. Well, I, I've had a lot of good people, and I mean, you're one of them. And that's, you know, part of what I enjoy. The mission of 105.7 WHWS, it's the student station at Hobart William Smith. So we try to give student broadcasters a chance. And I mean, you've gone on to have a nice career. Tyler Terrens, uh, he was a soccer player at Hobart for three years. His senior year decided he wanted to try radio, was very good at it. And, and last I knew was doing play-by-play -play for the Chicago Fire in MLS. He just picked it up. So I, I love seeing when guys like you come on and, and just get it right from the start. And, and, and I've been privileged to have a lot of great color people. I, let me tell you about one of the greatest that you probably know about. A couple of years ago, uh, I had a guy sit in with me and do hockey color on a Hobart game. 
and he was fantastic. Knows the game, knows the team, knows the program, and he was 12. 12? 12 years old. He what's nailed his, it. What's his name? His name is Jack Winham, and you'll be hearing him again soon on Hobart Broadcast. He plays youth hockey, goes to all the games, and I it just the kid knows his stuff. And, and see, there's two, there's two parts to being a color man. One is knowing the game and knowing the team, and the other is putting that across on the radio. I, you know, as the play-by-play guy, I can talk all afternoon long. As the color guy, you got to jump in in the breaks that you get and make a coherent point in 10 or 12 seconds. That's hard to do. It's difficult. The ones who enjoy it, you know, the, the TV sign, you get the Tony Romos and the Chris Collinsworth on the television sign. They might be more recognizable, but there is a skill. There's definitely an art to it. It also is great when you have a great one chair like yourself helping out those color guys, whether they're 12 or 52 or 62, whatever the age might be. Well, and when you say that, see, the thing is, is television is different. In television, yes. the color guy is the bigger star. I mean, John Madden was the star of the broadcast. But in radio, it's it's really a little bit different. The the play-by-play guy carries the ball most of the way. And the color, I mean, for example, doing hockey color, it might be two minutes between whistles, and you have a point you want to make. By the time the whistle blows, that point's not relevant anymore because things have moved on. So, I, you know, I've done some color, too. And, and I say sometimes that's harder to do than play-by-play because play-by-play, I know what I'm doing. I'm describing what's happening second by second in color you've got to decide okay this is why it's happening and you know it's real easy for a color guy to sort of echo the play-by-play man and you know great play by jones yeah that was a great play by jones well that doesn't tell me anything why was it a great play what was he doing what was he thinking so there's a lot that goes into color commentary on the radio yeah to add to the hockey point there i think one of the things to look at when we're talking about that smaller frame of a window almost a cross sport comparison here if you missed it and you're not good, you're like an outfielder who just dropped the pop fly. You're waiting for the next opportunity. And like you said, oh, this is going to be my moment. Oh, no, something else changed. Hockey is a truly of all those comparisons of radio. Yeah, one of the true art forms of getting that right and nailing the calls and everything else. Now, you've been doing this for decades. You've had this opportunity from Texas to Massachusetts to New York. You thought this might be what continues to go in your career, but a career change is on the way for you. We're taping this just a few days before when this airs. We're going to be probably hours away from you making this transition. Take us through, and like I like to say, as much or as little as you'd like to about the old opportunity and the new opportunity ahead for you. Before Ted tells you about his decision to join FingerLinks1.com, we want to tell you about the people that make this podcast possible. Godzilla Media and the podcast across the board, the businesses we hope that you can support for the future. And we start with our guy over at Northeastern Insurance. That's Jared Lozier. 2022 is just around the corner. Have you decided the ways in which you're going to invest your money? How are you going to save? How are you going to insure yourself, whether it's your business, your home, the things that are important in your life? Are you prepared to have that happen for 2022? That you're saving the money the right way? Gaining money the right way? Jared Lozier is the guy to call for you. Great guy here in the Capital Region. He will work with you wherever you may be. Here's his number, 518-956-3753. 518-956-3753. Spending some time with him over the past spring and summer. Getting to learn more about him. It's somebody you want in your corner where you're making those big financial decisions. Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance. Email him. Jared, J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com. Any questions about your future investments? If you want to just pick his brain about what can happen for you in the future, got to have somebody like this on your side. Jared Lozier, 
One more time, that email, J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com, Northeastern Insurance. And our friends over at Johnstone Supply in Troy, November, December. We just touched on it, how important the holiday season is. Well, what are you doing to make sure your home is safe for when your friends and your family come over to visit this Thanksgiving, this Christmas? Well, some of those things you have to do, make sure your air filters are clean. Make sure that air is pure, purifying it. How do you do it to kill those germs, the dust, the mold, all that stuff? Johnstone Supply in Troy can help you. Family-owned and operated business. They've been helping people in the Capital Region for decades. Now they can help you across anywhere in upstate New York. And don't forget, the Goodman Furnaces are now in stock. Made in America. Very dependable. High efficiency as well to help you in your home this holiday season. Check it out. Johnstone Supply in Troy. On Facebook or give them a call today. 518-272-5922. 518-272-5922. Sixth Avenue in Troy, whether it's our guy George, Tom, Kemp, James, whoever it may be, Johnstone Supply in Troy. Now, Ted, tell us about this opportunity that's on the way for your future and how did it all happen? Sure. I, I've been with Finger Lakes Radio Group. It would have been 19 years in January. I took over the morning show in 2006, so that means waking up at about 4 a.m. And when you combine that with high school play-by-play, I mean, some nights I'm getting home at maybe 10:15 if I have to travel somewhere for a game and getting back up at 4 and, you know, it takes its toll. I'm 61 years old. I've been doing this for a long time now. And so FingerLakes1.com, which is a local news and information website here in the Finger Lakes, they approached me just, I don't know, it's only been about two weeks ago. And they said, we're growing and we really think it would be cool if we could get you on board. Because I had been doing, I do a weekly podcast with them where we just discuss issues with their news director. So I come on his show once a week, he comes on my show and I figured, okay, we're showing each other, you know, our audiences. And so he said, we really like to have you on board. And they started talking about some of the things that they'll have me do. And it's a lot of the things that I do on the radio. They do a lot of high school play-by-play. I said, I definitely have to keep the Hobart play-by-play and William Smith is part of it. They said, fine, you can do that. So I'll be doing play-by-play, and I'll be writing and recording podcasts and blogs and all kinds of things. And it just, it, it's, no matter how much you like what you're doing, it's 15 years of doing the morning show and 19 at the same place. And I just, you know, you get excited again, that whole new opportunity thing. When I came here, if you'd said me to me it was going to be 19 years, I would have said, I don't think so. <laughs> but it has, and I've loved it. I just, I was presented with this opportunity again. I didn't go looking for it. They came to me, and I'm just a very fortunate guy. I've had a lot of these great opportunities fall into my lap, but I think that you get those opportunities, do good work, and be a good person, and be reliable, and be on time, and all those kinds of things, and opportunities will come your way. So I just decided this was something I wanted to do. So uh, at the end of this next week, I'll be leaving day-to-day radio. I'll still be a radio sportscaster, but I'll be a content creator on the web. It's not an easy transition, and I know you know this, but people who follow this, going from that traditional media format to a non-traditional media format, after you've done it for 20 years, there are going to be times where you could have said, I'm good. Like, I've done this for 20 years. I'm not moving. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I'm e- This is it. Like, I'm good. I, it seems as if you're somebody who likes change. Like, you're okay with that. A lot of broadcasters who have done this for decades plus say, I don't want anything to change. I'm good. You're embracing the change, which, like you just said, Seems to be an exciting part of your year. There's not a lot of people who hit the early part of their 60s who are broadcasters and say they want something new and fresh. I think it's a credit to you and what you want to do in the next coming years. Well, thanks. It's 
I, I mean, our our radio station has a website, so I'm not a stranger to creating content for the web, and it's it's going to be a lot of the same things that I do now. I mean, I'll, I'll do, you know, you have a podcast, I'll have one now, everybody's got one. I'll write some blogs, I'll cover news. It's a lot of the same things I've been doing, but number one, no more 4 a.m. wake up. I joked that the last time I saw The Tonight Show, Johnny was the host. <laughs> I can get up at a reasonable time. I can have a nice leisurely breakfast. Uh, at this particular company, a lot of what I do can be done from home. I, I may not be going to the office five days a week anymore. I might go in a couple days a week and do the rest from home. And I just, I see the growth potential with this website, especially at a time when traditional media are suffering. I mean, a lot of the newspapers are cutting people way back. I mean, you know, you saw it in radio, the cutbacks. And, and so I just felt like this was a great opportunity. And it was with people I knew. I've known the owner of this website for probably 15 years. And Josh, the news director who reached out to me, I, I do a weekly podcast with him. I like him. I get along with him. So it's it's going to work with people I like and a better schedule and doing all the things I like to do anyway. So it honestly, it was not a real difficult decision. I'm excited for you to see this new format launch. Fingerlakes1.com, their YouTube channel up as well. If you're listening from outside of the Finger Lakes, you want to check it out. I was checking it out before we started taping today. They got some great content. Cannot wait to see continued content coming from that. Staying connected to my alma mater back in Geneva and everything else and seeing what's happening there. It's some really exciting stuff. We've touched on this a few times, but I think it's a good way to close this as well. For a young broadcaster, maybe they're a student in Hobart, a student at William Smith. What's the best advice you can offer a young broadcaster wanting to launch a crew, whether it be a play-by-play -play broadcaster, a podcast, a non-traditional format, your best advice for young broadcasters for the future? Well, here's the thing. The opportunities have never been better. When I started in 1978, you had to get hired by a radio station. Today, get a laptop and a microphone, and you're on to the world. So you can do whatever you want. You want to be a sports talk person, start your own podcast like you have and, and reach out to people. If you want to do play by play, you know, go to some local high school that doesn't have anybody doing play by play coverage. And there's a lot of those because the traditional radio stations have cut back and, you know, strike a deal. I mean, you know, if you have a sales bent, sell your own advertising. If you don't find somebody who does hire him. I mean, the, the opportunities are there. So, so just go and keep going because, you, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs. I mean, as you've heard from me today, I've had some incredible breaks and some incredible heartbreaks in this 43 years. But if you keep on going, uh, eventually good things will happen. The voice of Hobart Athletics, William Smith Athletics, FingerLakes1.com. He is far from done. Ted Baker, the new exciting adventure coming for you later this month throughout 2022. Ted, I know it's a super busy time, especially in the middle of basketball and football and everything else. You were able to carve out a half hour for me. I appreciate that so much. Continue the great work out in the finger legs. Cannot wait to continue to watch your coverage and best of luck for the future. Thanks so much. Great to reconnect with you. I, I'm Like I said, I'm thrilled to watch the uh, the students that I've worked with go on to do what they want to do. So, so good luck with that. Uh, I'll be tuning into your podcast now that I know where to find it. And, uh, and maybe we can talk again. Appreciate it in Hippo Bart.